Hi, my name is Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. We are actually in the midst of an interesting series right now because my wife, Laurel, and I are not here. During the month of February, we're actually going to be going around the world and visiting with all of Christ the King's global missionary partners. So we would appreciate your prayer as we literally go all the way around the world in February. But while I'm gone, one of our very capable associate pastors is going to bring a powerful message to you. So let's head into the worship center right now. And once again, thanks for joining us. Welcome to weekend services. Uh, Laurel and I, along with our team, are in Nairobi, Kenya. And we are here at the school that we help support each and every day. I want to introduce you to two of my friends. This is Thomas Amolo, and this is John Mulgalway, and they are dear brothers in Christ. Their wives, Beatrice and Jacinta, are actually in the building behind us. They're serving lunch, so they're a little busy. And so I'm gonna ask Thomas if he'll bring greeting, greetings to the church, and then John's gonna pray for us. And I'm gonna ask John if he'd pray in Swahili, if that would be okay. Awesome. Thomas, you say hello? Hello, brothers and sisters of CTK. Uh, we really thank you uh, for letting Pastor Grant and the team come to us. This is a great day for us here at Sylvia King um, School. Uh, we really thank you so much. And to see our greetings from Nairobi, Kenya, and from our school, Sylvia King um, Academy. We thank you so much. Awesome. God bless you. Thank you, Thomas. John, would you pray for us? Yeah, I just want to send my blessings uh, in Swahili language. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for our brothers and sisters all the way from uh, Bellingham Ball, the city of the church. We pray Lord, for all. Now, we have one Amen. So thank you, everybody. We're so glad that you've been able to kind of journey along with us. By the time you watch this, we'll be on our way to Thailand. And uh, yesterday we had an amazing pastor's conference. Thank you again for supporting all the work that CTK is doing around the world. God bless you guys. And I'll turn it back to the pastor at CTK. Hello friends, welcome to Christ the King. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Brian. I'm excited to be with you this weekend. 
As I started thinking about this series and this word specifically indifference, the first thing that came to my mind was the dot. And what the dot is, is that's what I call the Find Your Friends app on your phone. For those of you who aren't familiar, there is a button on your phone that you can push that will share your location with anybody that you so choose. And what happens is they have a map that they can look at, and on that map appears a small dot that has your initials on it. And that dot shows them where you are 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, forever. So if you're thinking, man, that sounds like a huge breach of privacy, that sounds insane, you would be 100% right. It is. <laughs> but a couple years back, I shared my dot with somebody that I consider to be very trustworthy, my wife, Kristen. And, uh, and the reason for this is that she had a propensity to kind of think that if I was more than four minutes late, that I was somewhere in a ditch dead, <laughs> instead of thinking that I was serving somebody in our community or helping an elderly woman across the street. She's like, no, that's probably not it. He's probably dead. <laughs> and so this was kind of an issue for us for, for years. But then once we shared locations, it became a non-issue, which was great, praise God. But I will have to be honest with you, this dot did get me in trouble from time to time. You see, several times now, I would be on my way home from work, and I would stop at a certain fast food drive through restaurant. And I would have cash in hand to pay in such a way that there was no trace whatsoever. No, ma'am, I do not want the receipt. This is between me and God. And I know God's grace falls fresh every morning, so I don't think he's going to be too upset about a small cookie dough blizzard. All right, fine, it was a medium. But I'd be sitting there waiting for my treat, so excited, and then my phone would vibrate, and I would get a text that was three words long, and it would say, I see you. <laughs> and then it would be followed by another text that said, and for your sake, I hope the reason why you're at DQ is to pick me up a treat on your way home, and I would say, how did you know? <laughs> That's exactly what I was doing. Then I would immediately change my order to two blizzards and hope for better luck next time because I'm a work in progress. And I wish I could tell you it only happened once. I really do, but that would be dishonest of me. This happened on multiple occasions. It turned into somewhat of a rhythm. And here's the thing. I know that DQ isn't healthy. And I know that there's food for me at home, but I did it anyway because if I'm really honest with you, some days I just don't really care. And there's some weeks where I'm sick and tired of the same soup that I've had for the last four days and I just need something different. I need a blizzard. And even though I know it's not in the budget, I go and I get one anyways. And at the end of the month when I'm checking the financials, I start to realize that there's not as much money there as I thought. Because that's what happens when you have a slow leak. It doesn't seem like much at the time, but over time, it becomes much more damaging. And the problem wasn't that I didn't know right from wrong. The problem is that somewhere along the lines, I just stopped caring. I became indifferent. And this week, we get to talk about something that I think we collectively as a church have become indifferent towards, and that something is how we use our words, specifically gossip. And so that's a little bit about me, so I want to take the pressure off of myself um, and ask you guys the questions. By a show of hands, 
How many of us on some cognitive level know that gossip is not the best practice? It has the potential to be um, damaging, that maybe gossip could harm somebody. Okay, so that's a lot of us. Then the second question, even though we know that's true, how many of us still in some way, shape, or form tend to share things that we probably don't need to share? Keep them up, keep them up, look around. Oh man, it's worse than I thought. I've got some work to do today. So the issue with gossip isn't that we don't know that it's wrong. It says somewhere along the way we stop caring as much as we should. We stop understanding the actual potential that we have to be a blessing. And so we just kind of passively engage in this thing that we know isn't probably the best. And that's why this series is so important. It's because those, it's about these things in our lives that we've gotten so used to that we've forgotten the impact that they have over time on the vitality of our souls. And there's certain things like our physical appearance or our financials that are so tangible that it's easy to get a gauge on where we're at. But the thing with the heart is that it's a little bit more difficult to measure the health. And yet God says that our heart's the very thing he looks at when he looks at us. In 1 Samuel 16, God's speaking to the prophet Samuel, and he says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at your heart. And so, friends, I have been praying for your hearts this week. And I want to take a moment right now to just pray the same prayer that I've been praying for you all week. So will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord God, I pray that through the power of your spirit that you would strengthen our inner being so that we could be grounded and rooted in you. God, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. God, that you would allow us to be people who start to look more like you and less like us. God, we have no interest in staying the same today. We want to be transformed by your word and by your spirit. So we welcome you in this place and ask that you would do work in us. God, we ask that we would have ears to hear what it is that you would have us hear. God, and you would give us a boldness and a conviction necessary to actually take what we hear and apply it in our lives, God, so that we can be transformed into your image. God, we love you and we give you all the glory and the praise today and we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. I think the best sermons are the sermons that, that come out of this place of just incredible passion, these ideas that are already welling up in you that you're going to share whether or not you have a microphone. And this week, I'm so excited. I get to talk to you about one of those ideas that's, that's been true in my life. And the idea is pretty simple. It's actually in the form of a question. And the question is this, where are you investing your energy? Where are you investing your energy? Because the problem with gossip, the issue, the fault, the error we make when we gossip is we spend all of our energy sharing stories about people that frame them through the lens of what they do. So we'll say something along the lines of, well, I heard Chad kind of fell off the map when he started dating Stacy. And I don't really need to tell you about Stacy. Let's just say she's not exactly a Proverbs 31 type of a gal, if you know what I mean. She seems more like the woman by the well. But hey, it's his life. You know, I'm just going to keep lifting him up in my prayers because Lord knows he needs it right now in this season. 
And we spend all of our energy talking about what it is that people do. And so my idea, my hypothesis that I want to present for you tonight is simple. is that if we spend all of our energy talking about what people do, we're left with no energy to remind people who they are. To proclaim who people are in Christ. Do you guys see that distinction? It's simple, it's small, but it's so powerful. Here's another way to think about it as we seek to understand what are we talking about when we talk about gossip. If you spend all of your energy talking about people who aren't in the room, you're not actually gonna have any energy left to invest in the people who are in the room. And I'm convinced the worst thing about gossip isn't that it's bad, is that it keeps us from what's best, which is actually investing in the people God puts right in front of us. It distracts us. It takes the energy and emphasis off the relationship in the room and it puts it somewhere else that's less helpful. So this weekend, I want to talk to you about this idea of speaking life. What does that mean? Well, there was this rabbi by the name of Abraham Joshua Heschel who said these words. He said, words create worlds. Words create worlds. Worlds, And if you're wondering and if you're thinking, man, I feel like I've heard that before, it's because Pastor Lem talked about this a few months ago, but I think it's so important. I want to bring it back into the conversation. It's one of my favorite quotes ever, words create worlds, because I think it gives us just kind of, um, it, it shows us really the power that we already have. There's nothing you have to do to get this power. According to Heschel, if you can talk, text, or type, you have the power to create because words create worlds. And in the Hebrew language, the word for word is devar. And why that's interesting is this. The word devar gets translated um, in multiple ways. One of the ways is word, and the other way is thing. And so in the Hebrew Words aren't, think of as, uh, words aren't thought of as kind of these airy, ambiguous entities. Words were thought of as things that have substance, things that can create, things that have the power to shape and to frame. That's because words are more tangible than we realize. Words actually stick with people. When you're in a conversation, the people actually get the chance to take the words that you give to them with them when they leave. They don't just disappear, and that's why gossip can be so harmful. We don't realize how tangible those words are, and words create worlds. And this idea is seen throughout Scripture, and so we won't get a chance to look at every single thing, but I want to highlight a few things. This idea goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. I'm talking about Genesis 1, verse 1. The first words in your Bible say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let's stop right there. I don't want us to miss this. This is the first three verses in the Bible. And it already shows that God uses words to create. He speaks and things happen. He says, let there be light and there is light. He says, let there be sky, and there is sky. He uses words to create this world. Our God has an ability, a beautiful ability to speak life into the lifeless and light into the darkness. And my friends, we have all been given an ability 
to speak life and light into the world and the people around us. Your words have incredible power because you were created in the image of a God who has incredible power with his words. That was given to us. We inherited that. And it's often when we misunderstand or, or, mis- or, or misinterpret kind of the power that we have that we do the most damage to the people around us. Oftentimes, gossip isn't this thing that we proactively seek out. It's something that naturally comes to us because it's everywhere. It is everywhere. There are gossip magazines and websites and blogs and podcasts, and I'm not just talking about the the ones that you would think of. I even think like sports shows these days are just a bunch of dudes sitting around gossiping. They're saying, did you hear this guy missed football practice? Yeah, I heard it was a fight. I heard it was a disciplinary issue. I heard he stole crab legs from the store. I don't really know, but we got 24 hours of the news cycle and we got to fill it, so we might as well speculate. My friends, this world is full of gossip. We are living in it. It's no wonder we have become indifferent. But just because we're living in it doesn't mean we have to accept it. Doesn't mean we have to spread it or join in it. Jesus invites us to wake up to the opportunity we have to be different, but we can't be different if we are indifferent. We cannot be different if we become indifferent towards the power we have. The Proverbs talk a lot about the creative power of the words. And so I want to read three Proverbs for you, and I just want you to listen. I just want you to engage. You can close your eyes if that makes it easy for you or easier for you to connect. We're going to start with Proverbs 10, verse 11. It says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then my personal favorite, Proverbs 18, 21, says the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The Bible says our words have the power of life and death, and God gave us the capacity to choose. So when we speak, we can be a fountain of life, we can enliven, we can uplift, encourage, embolden, and we can actually spread love because words are more tangible than we think. They actually stick to people. But with the same tongue, we can have the capacity to use our words to belittle, to shame, to judge, to demean, to scare, to confuse, and to break people down. And in James 3, it talks about specifically the negative potential of tongues. It says, take ships, for example, though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. With the tongues, we praise our Lord and Father, and with them, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I want you to key in on those two words, made in God's likeness. Verse 10, out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So we see that the words we say matter because they set our course, they set our trajectory, 
The words we say matter because they're the best indicator we have as to the health of our souls. They're the things that come welling out of us. They have the power to speak life and death. And the question I want to ask you this weekend is simple. If words create worlds, what type of worlds are you creating? What type of worlds are you creating? My dad grew up on a fourth generation farm in Albert Lee, Minnesota. He was the third of five kids and when he was seven years old, he woke up one night in tears because he didn't know if his mom and dad loved him. So we went downstairs to, my parents, or to his parents' room in tears and they asked him, what's wrong? And he said, do you love me? His mom answered and said, of course we love you, Bob. Your father and I love you very much. And this settled him down enough to get back to bed. But he couldn't help but realize that his dad still hadn't said it. It was implied in what his mom had said, but his dad still hadn't said those words, I love you. And growing up on the farm, my grandpa was the boss. He was a good dad. But he wasn't particularly comfortable expressing his emotions. That's not what men were supposed to do. It had been that way for generations. But when my dad went to college, he decided to start calling my grandpa once a week just to check in on the farm, to check in with his family. And he ended each phone call the same way. He would say, I love you, Dad. And this happened for 20 years to no response because my grandpa still wasn't comfortable expressing his words that way. And it happened for 20 years because we moved up to Alaska, so the only way that we could stay connected with that family was through the phone. So week after week after week, there was this call that went out to check in on the family, to check in on the farm, and it would end the same way. I love you, Dad. And then just kind of awkward silence. Then one day when my dad was 40 years old, he called my grandpa just like he did every single week. He checked in with his family, checked in with the farm. Then he went to get off the phone. He said, I love you, Dad. And for whatever reason, this week, my grandpa said, I love you too, Bob. I love you too. Then they hung up. And my dad was speechless. This was 40 years in the making, 40 years of implied love that had finally found its language in this moment. If you do the math, it was over a thousand phone calls that all added up to this moment where this love that had been there the whole time had finally been expressed and connected them in a new way. So over the next 20 years, every phone call ended the same way. My dad would say, I love you, dad. And my grandpa would say, I love you too, Bob. Sometimes my grandpa would even say at first, he beat him to the punch because words create worlds. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes you have to say the same thing a thousand times before it actually finds its home in the other person's heart. But words create worlds. Sometimes it's slower than we want it to, but words create worlds. They create invitations to transform, to change. They have the power to change people, to open them up, to frame relationships. And my favorite part of the story is this. I never had to wonder whether my mom and dad loved me. I was talking to my dad the other day, and he said this. He said, I wanted my kids to know that they were loved. So I made a commitment that if I was going to make a mistake, I was going to tell them too much that I loved them, not enough. 
And I am here today to tell you that my dad probably did tell me too much that he loved me. The middle of a high school basketball game isn't the ideal time <laughs> to proclaim your love for your son. But hey, I'm over it, you know? <laughs> Nothing a little counseling won't get me through. But at least I knew, because the cycle stopped with him. He saw the power of words to create worlds. In the world that I grew up in, I knew that I was loved. And because the Bible says God is love, I knew a little something about God too. That's the thing about this idea of love. When we proclaim our love for people, we actually invite them into what God is already doing in this world. So what kind of world are you creating? Do the words you use let people know that they're loved or do they just express how frustrated you are at the people around you? We've only got so much energy. What are you spending your energy expressing? Because if I'm honest, gossip is one of, if not the most easy, most natural, most normal way to feel connected to the people around you. My friends, it is easy to pick people apart because people are the worst. <laughs> the choice is yours. You can look at physical appearance or social media, theology, friend groups, quirks, awkwardness, word choice. It is not hard to do. The choice is yours. Not to mention the fact that if you're talking about a bunch of other people, you don't actually have to engage with what God wants to be doing in your heart. Amen. Man, it's just so convenient to be able to deflect that way. But here's the thing, God doesn't call us to point out people's imperfections. God calls us to find God's likeness in people. And if we believe that everyone was created in the image of God, that means that there are pieces of God's likeness in each of us. We just have to find them. We just have to look for them. And it's not the easy thing to do. It's actually the hardest thing to do. But it's the godly thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. And your Bible says that it's the only way that we can actually find life. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And here's what God's been showing me about this idea. He's been showing me that the narrow gate isn't a one-time choice. On the contrary, it's actually at the center of every choice you make. There's an invitation to live life different. Jesus invites you to the small gate, the narrow road that leads to life. My friends, the narrow road is an invitation that's in front of you to live life different, to stand up for people that everyone else is putting down, to love people even when you disagree with them, to use your words as a blessing even if they aren't doing the same thing to you, to speak life, to be a fountain of life, to wake up to the opportunity God places right in front of you today. This isn't about what you've done in your past. This isn't about the shame and all the missed opportunities. It's about the next decision you make. It's about the ride home today. There's a holy opportunity for you to speak life, to be a fountain of life, to show people what God's about. Because friends, every interaction, every conversation, every word you speak, every look you give is a holy opportunity and it's an invitation 
to participate in what God is doing in this world. This isn't a one-time choice. It's every choice. And conventional wisdom might tell you that your friends are just in the town or just in town for the weekend. So why would I expend all this extra energy really trying to invest in them when I can just hang out? But Jesus would invite you to see this weekend as a holy opportunity to be a fountain of life to your friends. And the world might ask you, why invest all this time into a bunch of people that you're never going to see again? But Jesus would invite you to give them everything that you have because that's the narrow road to life. And you might think to yourself, I only get two minutes with that barista each day. What does it matter? But my friends, Jesus would say those two minutes are a holy opportunity to be a fountain of life, to be generous with your words, to build them up because words are more tangible than you realize and you have no idea what somebody's going through. So that might be the two best minutes of their week. You have no idea what people are going home to. You have no idea the potentiality that you have with the words that you say because words are more tangible than you realize and they create worlds. Jesus says, come. The gate is small. The road is narrow, but this is the way to life. And as a church, oftentimes we talk about life with regards to eternity. And that's true. But in this context here in Matthew 7, this word also is talking about right now. God has life for you right now. That word means vitality, joy, lightness, energy. Some translations even call it sparkle, and it's right there. The invitation is right in front of you to live in a way that's different, to experience life. Because a life following Jesus is the best life there is. And no, it's not the easiest. It's actually hard, but there's purpose. There is fullness, there's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's all the things we crave at the core of who we are in Christ. And one of the most tangible ways that we get to experience that life is by giving it away, is by being generous, is because when we give, it's actually then that we get to receive as well. So what kind of world are you creating? Are you using your words to spread love or a bunch of stories about people you don't even like? Are you talking about people outside of the room or are you seeing the opportunity God's given you to invest in the people right in front of you? Again, I'm not talking about what it is you've done because there's an opportunity in front of you today and that's the most important opportunity because that's the one that sets your trajectory. Are you gonna choose to just passively continue conversations, or are you gonna see the opportunity you have to build people up? And if there's one thing I know, there's a whole world of people who have no better thing to do than to tell you what you're not. They're gonna tell you that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough. But why Jesus is different is that he actually has the audacity to tell us who we are. Not who we're not, but who we are. And as followers of Jesus, we need to remind one another who we are so we don't start buying into all these lies about what we're not. The most compelling, beautiful, formative story I've ever heard about this idea of words creating worlds and foundations that people actually get to grow and live in 
was from this incredible preacher named Christine Kane. She has this daughter named Catherine Bobby. It's a great name. From the day that Catherine was born, her dad Nick spoke words of life and affirmation over her. Every day he would tell her that she was beautiful. He would say, Catherine, you are intelligent. You are a child of the most high king. You are chosen. You are worthy. You are loved. So this happened for years. But then on her first day, mind you, the first day of kindergarten, um, she had a bit of an altercation with a young gentleman who was also in the kindergarten class. And it was a disagreement over who was going to get to hold a certain teddy bear at lunchtime, which might not seem like a huge deal to you, but this was life or death for Catherine. And this kid ended up grabbing the bear from Catherine, yanking it out of her hands. And if that wasn't enough, he pointed at her right in her face and said, Catherine, Bobby, you are dumb and ugly. But without even skipping a beat, Catherine looked this bully straight in his eyes and said, no, I am not. My daddy says that I am beautiful and intelligent. And I love that she knew that what her daddy said about her was more important than the words of some bully. I think we can learn a lesson from Catherine. All words have power, but not all words were created equal. The source matters. The most true, most life-giving, most full words about you were created by the, by the God who created you. Those are the most formative, life-giving words that we can ever receive. So when the enemy and other people and even ourselves start speaking fear, doubt, negativity, and lies into us about what we're not, we need to be a people who say, no, I am not. My dad said that I am beautiful, that I am cherished, that I am loved, that I am enough, that I am a child of the Most High God, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, if words create worlds, then these are the kind of worlds that I want to create. These are the worlds with life because on the back end, the source is from our creator. We only have so much energy to give. Why not use that energy to build up and remind people who they are in Christ? Why not use it to build up the person right in front of you? The opportunity is in front of you. Why not use it to do the thing that God created words to do, which is to knit us together so that we can have a legacy of love. When people look at the church, they say, that's what God's like because that's how they love one another. How are you spending that energy? What kind of world are you creating? I'm going to invite the band to come back out. And I want to finish our time today by practicing what we preach. I have a list of things that God says is true about each and every one of you. And I want to speak them over you because I believe the words create worlds. And these are the worlds that I want you to be living in this week. These are the words that I want you to allow to start shaping you, to ground you in the truth, to share with the people that you love and even some of the people you don't like. So as we close, will you stand with me And if you could bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to speak this over you. 
This is what your dad says about you. He says you're holy and blameless before him. He says you're loved by God. He says you've been saved by grace through faith. He says you are the light of the world. He says you are no longer a slave to sin, you are a new creation. He says you are qualified and sanctified and purified. He says there's no power that can separate you from the love of God, my friends, you are forgiven. You are free. You are loved. You are enough. You are known. The God in heaven who created you says that you are cherished. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Would you allow these words to create the worlds that you walk in? Would you share them? Would you use your energy to remind people who they are so they don't believe lies about what they're not? We pray with me. Lord, we recenter today and remember that what you say is true about us is the most true. It's the most life-giving. God, it's the most whole, it's the most full. God, would you allow these words to start to shape us, God, so that we can be people who look more like you and less like us. God, would you show us the opportunities we have in front of us today, not tomorrow, to be fountains of life, God. You created words in such a way that we actually have the power to speak life, so would you give us the capacity and the opportunity, God, and the boldness to speak life of the people that we love. Jesus, would you help us to see God, the power that we have to participate in your plan this week, this month, and this year. We love you. We believe in the name of Jesus that you are changing us in this moment. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.